Well, that couldn't have gone any better, uh, John. I mean, I, I had all kinds of concerns about the Vikings being ready to perform offensively, about uh, having to defend Aaron Rodgers, a team that keeps winning 13 games a year and has an MVP quarterback. I, I was stunned by really how easy that Vikings victory felt. I was also stunned that it felt like to me that O'Connell and Donatel really outcoached their counterparts. And even though I, I, you know, I, I thought that O'Connell had a chance, has a chance to be a good head coach. I didn't see it all playing out that well for them in game one. What were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was one of the ones who was worried about, how this team would perform after not playing at all in the preseason. And it it wasn't concern for lack of talent. It wasn't concern that um, Kevin O'Connell wasn't coaching them up well or anything like that. It's just that they were in a brand new system um, running brand new plays and they hadn't really done it at full speed, except for in a few scrimmages in the preseason. Um, and, And so I expected them to be, kind of rusty and and to maybe struggle through things a little bit more but instead really they came out just crisp as could be on the opening drive setting a tone scoring what 17 points in the first half and then I really do think in the second half it felt less like um that you know the Packers made any real adjustments and more of just like the Vikings went into kind of protect the lead mode rather than um you know, pour it on mode. And so um, I just thought that it, it's a really encouraging sign. We you always have to be careful with making one judge, you know, judge sweeping judgments off of one game, especially early in the season. The Packers always look terrible, it seems like, in the first couple of weeks before finding themselves and, and going forward. But what we wanted to see um, from this Vikings team in week one uh, was how are they coached? How are they prepared? And how are they executing? And they did all three of those things at a very high level. And so that immediately kind of sets the bar a little bit higher for this team going forward. We'll see how they stack it and we'll see how teams adjust to them now. But that was uh, that was really, really impressive against a very good quarter against an elite quarterback and a very, very good head coach in Matt LaFleur. This is the Viking Update Show, part of TalkNorth.com. Our producer is Brandon Morton. Uh, our sponsor is StarBank, StarBank.net, the Minnesota State Lottery, the Viking Scratch-Off Game Edition, and Grain Belt Camo Pack. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate it. We recommend subscribing at your favorite podcast app. That is the easiest way to listen, and it is free. You can always go to TalkNorth.com and check out all the shows, including the John Krasinski Show. We had special guest Chris Hine on this week talk about Anthony Edwards. I thought that was a great conversation with some really smart people. Please check that out as well. And So I want to give the Vikings credit for scheming Justin Jefferson open, for uh, running an efficient offense, not turning the ball over, uh, all those things. I also am utterly shocked that a – team that has won again 13 games a year for a while now did not cover Justin Jefferson I don't understand yeah it was it was bizarre and um you know what Jair Alexander their great cornerback who I think did an excellent job on Adam Thielen most of the game said afterwards is that he wanted to cover Justin Jefferson one-on-one wanted to shadow him around the field and and I here's what I'll say on that. I I don't blame them for initially having a plan 
that says we're going to go out and attack the Vikings this way. We're not going to shadow Justin Jefferson. We're going to cover on the back end. We're going to kind of do things the way that we normally do and the way that we believe that's, that's it's one thing to have that plan and have, have it not work. It's another thing not to adjust and not to change things. I mean, you know, Justin Jefferson was imposing his will on that game from the very start. And you could tell from the first drive that they had a real problem and it kept going for the entire first half and even more. And so uh, why they didn't make some changes and say, Hey, what we have come up with is not working. You know, this guy is kicking our butts and we've got to, we got to, we got to have a different approach um, that surprised me. I, I did think that they would be more, uh, you know, uh, more fluid and and more able to adapt uh, on the fly, and they just didn't. And and Jefferson just kept getting open. One thing I will say that will I'm sure we'll get into more as this podcast goes along, but I thought it was you know Justin Jefferson was amazing, but I thought Kirk Cousins was very good from an improvisational standpoint. I don't think he was you know, extending plays and scrambling and doing all of that, but he was sliding around in the pocket, buying time and kind of throwing Justin Jefferson open on a couple of them that, that were not exactly super designed plays, but, but that they were just feeding off of each other. And that's a lot harder for a defense to deal with than the more robotic cousins that we have seen before. So I think it was a multitude of things, but in general, I am with you, Jim, that I'm just surprised that, uh, that there wasn't more um, uh, urgency to, to change things when it was clear that Jefferson was just shredding them. Yeah, there were times Jefferson would go out into a pass pattern and there was either a defensive end or a linebacker there or nobody there. Um, and the one play, you know, talking about Cousins moving around, I thought one of the most important plays of the game and one of the most impressive plays of the game was the time Cousins scrambled forward in the pocket yep. and threw off balance to Jefferson. That was, you know, that's a play where you give the offense credit. Cousins made a great play. Jefferson made a great play. Uh, I thought so many other times Jefferson was just wide open and Cousins threw it to him because he was wide open, which, hey, give him credit for making the right play and the right read. But I, here's the thing. I mean, whether it's basketball or football, if you play a zone, the zone has to have man-to-man principles within it. You don't play a zone saying, I'm going to stand here and let people run open wherever they want. The idea of a zone is that you match up within an area. That's why I call it a zone defense. Uh, to just let Justin Jefferson run wherever he wanted is bonkers. Well, and here, here's one thing that I that I was thinking about a lot, like after the game and going forward for the rest of the season here too, is remember when the Vikings played the Rams uh, in LA and you're mm-hmm. saying, Zim, why is Anthony Barr covering Cooper cup down yep. the field? Like why is, you know, Kendrick's on this guy, what, what is going on here? And, and so I think some of the credit clearly goes to the coaching staff, O'Connell and Wes Phillips and, and everyone in terms of, making it hard clearly for the defense to identify where Justin Jefferson was lining up and where he was going, because we saw Jefferson out wide. We saw him in the slot. We saw him in the backfield a couple of times, right behind cousin and cousins in this pseudo shotgun thing. We saw him kind of in a bunch 
um, formation on one side where he's like the third guy, like seemingly hiding between behind two guys. Um, so they were very creative in how they deployed him. And it was, it was a carbon copy of what the Rams do with, with Cooper cup. And so I do think that there, there did seem to be some confusion in the Packers secondary about what in the heck was going on and, and where is, is Jefferson going and who is responsible for him. And that may have led to um, several of the times where he was just wide, wide open as well. And, um, and so I think I, it, it felt very Rams versus Vikings like, and it doesn't make sense in the moment. Cause you're watching like, why would a coach do this? Why would he come up with an idea where that's, that's the, that's the plan and bar on Robert Woods or whoever. And and you realize that maybe that wasn't the plan and that they just got out schemed for it. And so um, kudos to to O'Connell and, and Phillips and the rest of the Vikings coaching staff for for coming up with ways to make it really hard to identify where Jefferson was going and to get a body on him. Yes. And uh, to spin this big picture before we get back to the details, uh, listen, one week uh, the Packers will be end up being a good team. Uh, mm-hmm. The Rams will end up being a good team. But – you look around the NFC and nobody in week one scared you. Uh, right. the, I would say if you, if you were going to, and we spent a lot of time on speculation, spent a lot of time in the off season looking at rosters and schedules and everything else. If you were going to base a power ranking right now, just off what you saw week one off reality, I mean, it would probably be bucks number one and Vikings number two in the NFC. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Like, yeah, like if, we, if it was just a snap judgment, who looked the best, which team looked the best in week one? I think it. I think the, I would even put the Vikings over the Bucks. Um, the Bucks looked great defensively. Uh, offensively, they were okay. They, had, you know, and and they were fine, but they did not look as explosive as the Vikings did in multiple phases. And and so I'd put the Vikings at number one. I'd put the Bucks maybe number two. The Eagles. I mean, they 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 came down to the wire against Detroit, but they looked explosive and dynamic, and looked they look like there's a lot to handle there. So I like the way they look. But other than that, um, the NFC is very muddled, uh, and and you and you're trying to see it and see who is going to emerge. And like you said, I I I believe the Packers will figure it out. I wrote it in my story at the Athletic that you know. By week nine or ten, maybe Christian Watson is holding on to those to those deep passes that he just dropped. Maybe um, maybe Rodgers has a better feel with Romeo Dubs, and 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 the timing is better. Maybe the offensive line is healthy, and there's going to be a thing. They're going to get things back together, and they'll be back up into double digit wins. I think we can expect that because that's what they've done. But overall, um, for week one, and when you look at the recipe for the Vikings uh, unseating the Packers in the NFC North, they had to win this game. And this was a, this was the first challenge for them to get moving. And the separator, I think so far right now is that Kirk Cousins has Justin Jefferson and Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem to have anyone as a receiver that could absolutely change over the course of the season. And maybe that will develop, but right now, that is a huge, huge edge for the Vikings that could tilt the balance of power in their favor if they can hold that up. And if, you know, just the Green Bay receiver core just is slower to develop and needs a, a full year before they're ready to go um, into next season. 
I want to talk about Justin Jefferson's greatness, about the offense, about uh, I, I don't really love the word culture, but I don't know what else to use. It's the word they use. So let's get into that. We do first want to thank StarBank. Big banks aren't the only ones with mobile apps and convenient financial services. I'd like to tell you about StarBank. StarBank is an independent community bank in Minnesota. They're family owned and treat customer relationships as a top priority. You're not a customer number at StarBank and they have no call center. It's just banking how it should be. A throwback to the good days. Mobile app check convenient services. You got it. Check out StarBank for yourself for deposits and lending solutions. Work with a local community bank that cares. StarBank.net, member FDIC and equal housing lender. Also want to thank the Minnesota State Lottery and the Viking Scratch-Off game. It's the time of year to go big, to grab your passion by the horns, to let your purple flag fly. The Minnesota Lottery's Vikings Big Ticket Scratch Game is here to help you do just that. With $10.2 million in total cash prizes, you'd think that's as big as it gets. But the ticket is so large, it has huge second-chance prizes, too. So say I'm in. Minnesota Lottery. Must be 18 or older to go big. And we'd like to thank Grain Belt. I, I live where I get to see the Grain Belt sign every day. Check out the Grain Belt Camo Pack. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. So Justin Jefferson is doing some historic things. Um, and it's not always going to be as easy for him as it was this last Sunday. But we've seen him thrive in almost every situation. We've seen him beat double teams. We've seen him catch short run with it. We've seen him catch the ball deep. We've seen him deep crossing routes. Uh, we've seen him. You know, we've seen him do pretty much everything. And no, he's not the spectacular leaper that Randy Moss was, but his production through 34 career games, as I wrote about the other day, is ahead of Randy Moss in every category other than touchdowns. I just don't see anything getting this guy's way as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I don't either. And I, I mean, I said it on Sunday, probably late in the second quarter. I said, I don't take this lightly, but this is a Moss-like performance. And I I did not mean that it was Moss-like in terms of it was, you know, Kirk Cousins throwing a 70-yard bomb and and Moss and, and Jefferson jumping over two people and scoring that way. But just in the way that a receiver can dominate a game, like just dominate it, it's it was Moss-like in terms of striking fear into the opponent's hearts, in terms of not uh, the opposing defense just not having any answers for him. That's what Jefferson did in week one. That and, and the numbers that he has piled up so far early in his career tell you that he is a guy that is just incredibly difficult to cover. And maybe, you know, you could say that his style of receiver is closer to a Jerry Rice than a Moss. And I, I get, I know like it's ridiculous to put those two names together when you're, when you're a court, when you're, when you're talking about it, but just in the way that Rice was a precise route runner 
over the middle, catch and run, um, you know, variations on on his theme that made it very difficult for the defensive back to know which way he was going and what he was doing. His ability to get open no matter what. Um, that's Jefferson. That's more Jefferson. Moss was more go up and get it. Just use your speed and get down the field and and make plays that way. Um, and so it's a it's a different style of attacking a defense maybe than Randy Moss did, but. Uh, it's a relentlessness that is incredible. I mean, he just keeps coming at you. And I wrote about it uh, after the game on Sunday, but I do think that the the to, for me, the defining moment of that game was after Cousins threw the 36-yard the touchdown to him, the second TD, and he went over to the sideline and he pats Jefferson on the back. And he's like patting him on the back over and over again. And I asked Cousins about it after the game, and Cousins said that he was just affirming a message about how impressed he was that Jefferson finishes plays, that he doesn't allow himself to be pushed out at the three-yard line or the five-yard line. He doesn't just go down. He goes for the end zone like he did in that um, it, it, on that 36-yarder. And that showed me that there is a faith and a trust that is building between Cousins and Jefferson I think that is different than Cousins has had with anybody else. We saw the big blow up after in his first year with Adam Thielen on the sideline and Diggs at that time, you know, was pleading with Cousins to just trust him, to just let him make plays and Diggs ultimately forced his way out. Thielen has stuck around, but um, I think that Jefferson is now getting a faith from Cousins, like just give me the damn ball. And we're going to make big, big things happen. And if Cousins has that trust and is going to put him in that position, that only raises the possibilities here for the Vikings and and gets it going forward. Because all we've been waiting for is for Kirk Cousins to have that faith and to let that thing loose. And we'll see if that 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 trust keeps building and allows him to really take a few more chances and just believe that Jefferson is going to make a big play like Cunningham believed it with Moss, like, you know, obviously like, you know, that all of the great quarterbacks believed in their greatest, in the, in the greatest receivers, that's where Jefferson is heading. And that's what can be a game changer for what this Vikings team can do. Let's get to the defense and the atmosphere around the team. Let's start with the defense. Uh, the easiest thing to say about this team all offseason was if Hunter and Zedaria Smith are healthy and productive, that's where this team makes the biggest improvement over a terrible defense last year to what could be a very good defense this last year. Uh, once again, I'm just not sure you could have asked for more than what Hunter and Zedaria Smith did on Sunday. Yeah, they were great. They were they were they got after Rodgers a lot. Um, they they collapsed the pocket. They they put pressure on him. And and what they sacked him four times. And so so that was good. I'll say that I was surprised, Jim, even though uh, the, the Packers receiving core is inexperienced or is underwhelming with the veterans, Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb with with Dubs and Watson. But um, I thought the secondary was an enormous part of the game just because you saw Rodgers holding the ball and holding it and and needing and and trying to give them extra time to get separation to get open against the Viking secondary and he couldn't it, it couldn't happen they could not get any separation and that's i think at least two of the sacks were 
because Rodgers was holding on to the ball for a lot longer, trying to give those receivers a, a, an, an extra moment to get open, and they just weren't able to. They they had the one where Peterson got beat by Watson, and and Watson just dropped it. But other than that, uh, there was not much room on the back end. It was a good job by Smith and Bynum and uh, Dantzler and Peterson and uh, Sullivan. Like they really did a good job, and that allowed. Smith and uh and, and Hunter to really go at it. There was one play, Jim, where Hunter kind of sort of dropped back into coverage and then he did a spin move and just started charging at Rogers. And he had the time to get there because they were covered on the back end. So it was a, a perfect combination of pass rush and coverage on Sunday that really um that was really impressive. Yes. And, uh, you know, Rodgers tried for two big plays in the game. Watson dropped one. And the thing about the NFL is you never know what would have happened in the game. If they hit that 75-yard touchdown, who knows? Maybe it's a completely different game flow. Because the Vikings, after their first touchdown drive, went into a little bit of an offensive lull. It could have been a much tighter game. But the other one was Rodgers tried to throw the ball up to Randall Cobb, and Harrison Smith made an excellent play. Harrison Smith made two real big flash plays in that game. Uh, and that was one of them. And, you know, if you have a pass rush, that's where Harrison Smith is going to be able to prey on quarterbacks. Uh, you know, he's he's still a, an excellent player, but he's not going to be able to cover people for an extended amount of time and distance if there's no pass rush. If there's a pass rush, uh, he's he's among the best at reading the quarterback and taking advantage of mistakes. Yeah, and and I I do think like that that one pick that he threw to Harrison, which was a great play by Smith. Um, that was if if you're a Vikings fan, I think you loved just getting the win, but I think you loved even more the frustration that Rodgers was showing multiple times. And I think that that uh that interception was a frustration interception. Um, he was mad at either the, 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 the lion and the, and the, and, and the lack of blocking, or he was mad at his receivers for not being able to make a play. And he just chucked it up there and Harrison Smith went and got it. And there were several times in the game where the camera panned to Rogers and he's on the sideline and he's gesturing with frustration. He's cursing. Like there was, there was a real sense that, he was looking at the weapons at his disposal and what else was happening around him. And then what, you know, what the Vikings had going for them and saying, and, and just like, this ain't going to work guys. Like this is not acceptable. And, and so, um, you know, to see Smith make a couple of those plays, cause let's face it, Jim, like last couple of years, we haven't seen him make some of those plays. And, and so he's back and making big plays. Smith and Hunter up front are making big plays. Kendricks was all over the place. Just really, really encouraging. What I want to see going forward from that defense, especially, is you're never going to be fresher than you were week one. Like, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be uh, in good shape. You're ready to go. How do they handle the grind physically over the next 17 weeks? And if they can stay healthy and they can keep that energy and that juice in their legs and everything going, that that looks pretty promising. It's just it's always going to be can this group, especially Daniel Hunter and, and Zadarius Smith, but I think even Harrison Smith as he's get old, as he gets older, 
Um, can they stay healthy and can they stay on top of things? Because if they do, they they have a lot going for them. No doubt about it. Last topic for today. Once again, thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com. Check out all the other outdoor and sports shows at TalkNorth.com. And thanks to Minnesota State Lottery, Grain Belt, Camo Pack, and Star Bank. Uh, listen, you're, you're covering a, a locker room after the game where they just beat their rival by a wide margin. Of course, they're going to be happy. But I thought what we saw in that locker room uh, and by the way, it's great to be back in the locker room where you talk to people like they're human beings. It's it's a great thing for us, great thing for our readers. You really got the sense that they are the players are thrilled to have uh, O'Connell and Wes Phillips and Donatel and to be rid of Zimmer and Spielman. And I don't think it's just because they won. I think it's I think. You listen to Thielen, he's like, we kept attacking, we kept attacking. You listen to the, the offensive players, they're like, yeah, you know, obviously we're going to throw the ball, men run it. It's not going to be just Dalvin Cook getting run down the throats of a defense, whether that's the smartest plan or not. There, there was a lightness in that club, in that locker room after the game that I just don't think we've seen in a while. Yeah, I, I agree. And we've talked about it most of the summer that um, the, the coaching staff, has done a very good job of breathing light and air into what was a very stuffy and tense situation. And, um, and we wondered how that was going to carry over. And I do think that it's just the latest sign that this is what players do want in this day and age and what they expect from their leadership. They expect empowering, they expect, communication they expect um all of these things and that's that is a a big indicator of the chances of success it doesn't guarantee it because i do think that one of the keys to this is okay players you got the more player friendly approach in coaches you got the open door policy you got the 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 fun and the and the lightness of it now it's up to you to perform and validate that approach if you just you know kind of become soft and it and it, and, and you don't win games it that's that's not going to do anything for you but week 1 they did that and i think that that's important for a new coaching staff to come in and have success early so players believe in what they're selling i think they were believing in it all camp long, but you just didn't know until you were really tested and they were tested on Sunday and they came out with flying colors. And so that's only going to strengthen Kevin O'Connell's ability to lead this team going forward to say, Hey, look at what we're doing. Look at what we're asking you to do and look at the results that it's producing. And so I think that was an important first one for them just to validate that, you know, because you you know, Jim, you know, all all August, as Mike Zimmer was hearing all of this discussion about, um, you know, kumbaya and 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 new culture and all this, that he's just gritting his teeth and like that's all BS. That this is ridiculous. You know, I'm sure of it. I'm a hundred percent sure of it. But then you see them come out and perform this way, and if they can sustain that and play well, um, it's going to be harder and harder to rebut that kind of, uh, that, that kind of narrative when the results are, are coming like they did on Sunday. 
No doubt about it. Let's get a final thought from John. Once again, thanks to everyone with sponsors and listen to talknorth.com. We have tons of great shows, including the Cheryl Reeves show uh, and John Millay, Jeff Diamond, the John Krasinski show and uh, the Chin Music show with Roy Smalley and Lavelle Neal, where we're currently burying the twins. Uh, let's get a final thought from John and I'll offer one myself as the, and let's, I, I thought we really wanted to look back at this game. It was such a significant game for the franchise. Let's now look ahead what do you expect out of the Vikings at Philadelphia? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that game, Jim. Um, I do think that the defense will be tested more by Philly than Green Bay, as crazy as it sounds, Jalen Hurts versus Aaron Rodgers. But I think Philadelphia has more weapons than the Packers do at this point um, in terms of the passing game, Hurts' ability to run the ball, and then A.J. Brown looked terrific for the Eagles in his debut. And so he's going to, you know, bring a lot more matchup problems than, you know, Romeo dubs and Christian Watson did. So uh, it's going to be a really good test in a, in a, in a hostile environment, but I do think it's a winnable game for the Vikings Um, Detroit, which I think is going to be improved this year, but took them right down to the wire 38, 35. Um, And so I think that, uh, I'm, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Dalvin cook quietly had like 20 carries for 90 yards on su- on Sunday. And maybe he'll have, he'll have to be a little bit bigger factor against the Eagles, um, in, in terms of scoring and, and involvement to kind of take some of the pressure off Jefferson. Cause I'm sure they will load up on him, but it's going to be a hell of a game on Monday night. And, um, and, and it kind of just like a, n- another little early litmus test for, how this Vikings team can match up. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. No doubt about it. I actually do think that hurts uh, with, with Brown now as his number one receiver with a good, really good receiving tight end. Um, I think hurts is going to be, it sounds crazy to say, but I think hurts with has better receivers than Aaron Rodgers. He does. And he's going to run the ball more. I think he's actually a bigger challenge right now for this defense than Aaron Rodgers was in week one. Uh, the other thing is you and I, covered the NFC championship game at Philadelphia mm-hmm. and I hope no Viking fans go to Philadelphia on Monday night because I, it, I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic here. It might be dangerous. It's a, it's the worst fan base in and the worst game day experience for a visiting fan in the NFL. It is, um, it, you know, and I, I hate I hate to say it, or I, I tread lightly on it, this it's this area because there's immediate backlash of, oh, you're just you're you're feeding into the narrative, and that's not exact. That's actually not what it's like. No, it it is like that. Like, and I don't I I don't have any patience for anyone who wants to dispute it. Like, it is a mean, toxic, nasty. Um, not enjoyable experience. And, you know, there are other places that are, are hard to go into, are intimidating, are all of those things, but it's, you never feel like your safety is in danger. Um, and, and I'm all for those environments. I'm all for edge and, and, and getting after it and fans really giving the opponents a hard time. And that's all super fun. That's what makes sports great. That's what makes like coming out of COVID fun to get these, you know, everyone together. And, you know, you have your playful back and forth and you talk some trash and, and you get, and you get going, but that Philly crowd is um, like nothing 
I've ever experienced. Um, and there's never been a place where I felt like I was in physical danger um, more than than there and walking and walking into the stadium and then walking out of the stadium. And uh, yeah, I would not recommend it for any Viking fan. I really would not do that. Um, and I'm sure there are a million Eagles fans that are wonderful and fun and great to hang out with, but there are a ton of fans there, especially for a Monday night game that are going to be all tuned up, that are going to be throwing beer cans at your head, that are going to be hurling invectives at you, that are going to be, you know, threatening to fight and all of those things. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. Like it's, it's an awful environment. And the two things that really stuck out to me, well, three things that really stuck out to me about that uh, NFC Championship game from what I saw and what from friends of mine who were at the game told me is, number one, Eagles fans identified where the Viking wives were and mm-hmm. they dumped beer all over them. Number two, they weren't just throwing beer cans at Viking fans. They were throwing full beers yes. at Viking fans. And the third is uh, I know somebody who went up to uh, the, the, the mounted police who were around the stadium and the mounted police treated the Viking fans just as badly as the fans did. They are mm-hmm. all in on uh, not just intimidate, not intimidating in a fun way, but intimidating in a in a uh, criminal way. It's a horrible experience. Uh, so I just hope everybody's safe. That you know, very simple. If you go, do not wear purple. Just be really safe. Absolutely. All right. Uh, good stuff. Looks like it's going to be a fun year to talk about the Vikings. Thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com. We'll talk to you next week after we see what happens in Philadelphia.